Let me invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 1 this morning. Galatians, Galatians chapter 1. <clears throat> the understanding of the Gospel by these Galatian churches was like a tall glass of milk. It was, it was pure. And uh, once you get to Galatians 1, let me... That's where we'll spend most of our time. But let me have you turn back to Acts chapter 13. Show you a few verses here, and keep your finger there in Galatians 1. Acts chapter 13. Barnabas and Paul uh, go on their first missionary journey, and this is one of their f- the first regions that they come to, this Galatian region. So I want you to see the success of the gospel in this region, and then that will help help us see that see it in light of what's going on in Paul's letter to the Galatians. Acts chapter 13, I'll begin reading in verse 36. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him... Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. <clears throat> and through Him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. So he's preaching a gospel of freedom. They are freed from the law. Look down to verse 43 with me. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. So we have some converts here. Skip down to verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. And then down in chapter 14, verse 1, another Galatian city called Iconium. It says in Iconium they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and of Greeks. And then verse 21 of chapter 14. After they had preached the Gospel, speaking of Lystra and Derbe, after they had preached the Gospel to that city and had laid and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So here is the foundation of the churches in Galatia. Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, and uh, and Antioch. Those are the four main cities. You can turn to Galatians 1 now, where we will be spending our time. But I wanted to show you that the gospel that the Galatians received was like a pure, tall glass of milk. But the Galatians... uh, no longer had that clear gospel. It had been mixed with false teaching. Some of these troublemakers that Paul, we talked about last week, that Paul brings up these troublemakers, these Judaizers who say you have to obey the law in order to be accepted before God. They came along and poured dirt into their tall glass of milk and started to shake it up. So now it was hard to find that pure glass of milk that was once there. Paul had given them in Acts chapter 13 a gospel of grace that that salvation comes by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone apart from any of their works that it frees them from that law 
But these influential leaders come along and speak to these Galatian churches and convince them that that is not the true Gospel. That Paul's giving you the wrong Gospel. That the true Gospel has to do with Judaism. Following the Jewish customs. The true Gospel has to include works of the law, these agitators told them. What the Galatians needed to understand was that trying to be saved by works of the law was like a prisoner who had been freed living in his apartment and putting himself locking himself up in a cage. Not only is that foolish, but it would eventually be deadly. And that's the way these Galatians were responding to this false gospel. They had already been freed from the gospel, and now they were closing themselves back up under the shackles of the law. And Paul's saying, you're free from that. The gospel is a gospel of grace. And so he will show the severity of this false gospel in this passage that we're going to look at today. Let's read chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I'll read. You follow along. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. This is the Word of God. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Two main points in this passage. First, to distort the gospel is to to abandon God. To distort the gospel is to abandon God, verses 6 and 7. And then second, verses 8 and 9, to abandon God is to incur His judgment. To abandon God is to incur His judgment. This passage is about abandoning the gospel. And Paul is saying that abandoning abandoning the gospel is deadly. So don't abandon the gospel. First, verses 6 and 7, to distort the gospel is to abandon God. Let me show you where I, I see that here in the passage. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting. And notice who they're deserting. Him who called you, speaking of God. In verse 7, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel. So to distort the gospel is to abandon God. And he's going to show in verses 8 and 9 that if you're going to abandon God, then then you are going to receive God's judgment. Paul had taught in Acts chapter 13 to these groups of believers that only the only hope for forgiveness of sins comes through faith in Jesus Christ. We read in chapter 13, he said, Let it be known to you, brethren, that through Him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through Him everyone who believes is freed from all these things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. This is what you first received. You received a gospel. And notice what this gospel was about at the end of verse 6. Him who called you, notice, by the grace of Christ. The hope that you once had was in Christ and in Christ alone, but now you've turned from that. You've turned away from that. And so Paul begins 
in verse 6 by saying, I'm astonished at you. I'm amazed. You've deserted, you've deserted God. In the Gospel of Grace, for, notice verse 6 at the end, you've deserted it for a different Gospel. And notice the quickness of their desertion. At the beginning of the verse, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting. I mentioned last week that Paul wrote Galatians likely around A.D. 49. And he did it just before the Jerusalem Council, which is in Acts chapter 15. He had gone on his first missionary journey and was probably in that Galatian region around A.D. 48. So how long had spanned between the time that they had received the Gospel and Paul writes this letter? Probably only a year. They had received the gospel of grace, and it didn't take very long before they had abandoned that they before they started to abandon it. I don't think they fully abandoned it, and we'll see that they actually uh, Paul's confident that they will receive the true gospel. And so Paul is concerned about them because it hasn't been very long, and yet you are now quickly deserting the gospel that you you once had received. How could these Galatians be so inconsistent? How could they mess it up so quickly after having received the true gospel? We shouldn't be surprised by this. This is not unique to the Galatian churches. We as humans are often fickle. Think back to the people of Israel. When God had uh, done these great signs before them, the plagues, the ten plagues there in Egypt, and allowed them to be set free from the bondage of the Egyptians. And they get their backs to the Red Sea after having seen all those great works of God. And they they say, Moses, why did you bring us here? We've been better off dead. And he says, just hold on. Wait for God to work. God opens the Red Sea. They cross on dry land. And not three days later, they're complaining for lack of water. The God who had provided for them, they had forgotten how great of a God He was. And Moses goes up to the top to to Mount Sinai there in Exodus chapter 32 to receive the law of God, the Ten Commandments, and and the rest of the commandments that are known as the law of Moses. And what are Aaron and the people doing down below? They're making a golden calf to worship, aren't they? Exodus 32 8 says. They have turned aside quickly. The same basic word here is used in Exodus 32 as is used in chapter 1, verse 6. They've quickly turned aside. They deserted the things that God had commanded. They've quickly deserted God. And so it's easy for us to see the fickleness of the people of Israel, the fickleness of the Galatians, but it shouldn't be too hard for us to see the fickleness of ourselves as well. If we're honest, we are often like the people of Israel. And we're often like the people at the Galatian churches. We're tossed around like waves of the sea. Every time a new doctrine comes along, we're quick to grab onto it. And say, yeah, that's the true doctrine without evaluating it. We're, we're driven by the wind without a whole lot of foundation. And it's easy for us, like it was 
for the Galatians to desert the true gospel if we're not careful and to abandon it for something that is at the time more shiny, more attract more attracting, more attractive, more palatable, more friendly. The next thing we know, we've we've slowly drifted away from the true gospel, and that's why at the center of the church of Jesus Christ ought to be the gospel. Because it's easy for us to turn away from it like it was for the Galatians. Notice the word that Paul uses for their turning away in verse 6. You are so quickly deserting. In the Greek language, it has the meaning of bringing to another place or transplanting. It's the same word that's used in Hebrews 11 when it says that Enoch was deserted up to heaven or he was transplanted up to heaven. Paul is saying, you people, you Galatian churches, you're on the brink of transplanting from being a people of God to enemies of God, to being traitors of God. It was as if they were having their turncoats fitted. They hadn't fully put them on yet. Paul doesn't say, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, you have deserted. He doesn't say, you will desert. No, he says you are deserting. You are in the process of putting on your turncoat to, to, to changing loyalties, switching allegiances. You're transferring from, from God's team to Satan's team. You're in the process of doing it. So here's what I'm here to tell you. You need to stop and recognize that this is another gospel. It's not the one I told you. Notice the object of their desertion. It wasn't that they were just deserting Paul and his gospel. Notice who they were deserting. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ. It's referring to God. You are deserting not just me, not just the gospel I gave you. You're deserting the God of the universe. So there are going to be some serious ramifications when you do. And I'm here to encourage you not to do that. No. The question that, that came up as I was studying through this, is if, if, and you're probably thinking it as well, if, they, if these people are saved, and Paul's writing to believers in the church of Galatia, if these people are saved, then how could they ever abandon or desert God? Turn to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 2. How can a person desert God if they are truly saved? And the answer is, they never were truly saved. Those who really desert God, those who end up abandoning God, those who follow this all the way to the end and actually put that turncoat on, and give up on God, they really never were saved. Chapter 5, verse 2. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision. That is, the Jewish laws that they were saying that were required in order for a person to be accepted. If you receive circumcision, that, that he is under, that person is under obligation to keep the whole law. And notice, you have been severed from Christ. You who are 
seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. The opportunity that you once had to have a relationship with Christ is no more. You've been severed from that opportunity. You've been severed from Christ. You've fallen from grace. Now, now maybe what, what Paul is saying is that the person was saved and then they stopped being saved. They, they fell away. But I think it's more like the soils in Mark chapter 4. Remember the parable of the soils? There were four different types of soil. And this soil that Paul is referring to is probably most like the thorny soil. Listen to Mark 4, 18 and 19. When Jesus explains this parable, He says, And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the Word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the Word and it becomes unfruitful. When Jesus was giving that parable, He was saying that there are four types of soil. Some Satan takes away. Some don't get deep enough roots. And when the sun comes out, they, they're scorched and they die because they haven't, they haven't dug down their roots all the way to the true source of life, the, the, the water spring of life. And then there are these who grow among the thorns who have a decent root system, but they grow among the thorns, and the thorns choke them out. And then there's this good soil. When the Word comes to that soil, it takes root, and, it, and it, what's the result of that? It's fruit, right? That's how we know who, whether a person is a believer or not. There, there, there is fruit that is born. There's the fruit of the Spirit. But, but for this one... These people who will be severed from Christ, the ones who, who had the Gospel in their grasp and then let it go. It wasn't that they, they were fully saved. They never were saved. They just responded initially to the Word with a what we would call a profession of faith. Do you understand? They've made a profession that I'm going to follow Christ. But then the thorns come in. And they start to choke them out. The deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, a false gospel like the Galatians had. And Paul says, those who sprang up and looked like there was genuine life there, when they show evidence of having been choked out, they show that they never really had the gospel. They were severed from Christ. They fell from grace. Turn back to chapter 1. You notice they've abandoned the true gospel, or they are abandoning, I should say. They are in the process of abandoning it. Notice what they're abandoning. They're getting rid of it for. They're getting rid of it for verse 6 at the end, for a different gospel, which is really not another. Or as some translations say, which really is no gospel at all. And we start to get a sense of how serious Paul is about this. This is not, you know, I just want to deal with this other issue that's kind of going on in your church. Let me just, let me just talk to you about this. This is, this is at the center, the heart of the gospel. Paul doesn't say, I, you know, I understand you're acting this way. You're kind of young. And you want to maintain, maintain peace among these Jewish 
religious leaders and so these Judaizers. And so I understand. No, he says, this strikes at the heart of the Gospel and it actually turns you away from the true Gospel towards another Gospel, which is really no Gospel at all. What these people have done, these agitators, these troublemakers, these Judaizers in verse 7, is that they have disturbed you and wanted to distort the Gospel of Christ. The reason that the Galatians were abandoning it were because these troublemakers were disturbing them. They were distorting the Gospel. That's these outsiders that Paul is talking about. Remember, these people are probably not part of the church and the reason we know that is because Paul doesn't address them directly. He doesn't say, you agitators, you troublemakers, stop doing that. He's talking to the church and he says, you churches, stop being influenced by them. Why do they want to distort the Gospel? The end of verse 7. Um, they, they want to distort the Gospel. The Word has the idea of, of, of changing to the opposite or twisting. It's like changing from fresh water to salt water or from daylight to darkness. They want to distort it. We're going to see later when we get to chapters 5 and 6 that they, they want to do it for their own gain so that they can take credit for all these people who have adopted these Jewish customs. They've abandoned the gospel of grace for a gospel of works. They were in the process of doing so. Paul says this is no small thing to abandon the gospel. To distort the gospel is to abandon God. Notice verses 8 and 9. To abandon God is to incur His judgment. To incur His judgment. He repeats this phrase two times. He, he changes it a little bit in the middle, but it's basically the same phrase. But even if we, verse 8, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. And so what we find here in these two verses is that the the most important part about the message is not the messenger, but what? It is the content of the message. Here's what Paul's saying. Doesn't matter who it is that speaks it to you. Doesn't matter who it is. Turn to Philippians chapter one. And I'll show you. If Paul Paul's not really concerned with who gives the message, or even if they do it with wrong motives. The main thing he's concerned about is the content of the gospel. It has to be right. Chapter one, verse fifteen. Philippians chapter one, verse fifteen. Some Paul says, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. He says, what then, verse 18, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. See what's going on here? Paul has some opponents 
who are preaching the gospel of Christ. He says it two times. They're preaching Christ. But if they're doing it with the right motives or wrong motives, Paul says, that doesn't concern me as much. They're doing it because they probably want to do this out of spite so that, so that they can get more followers and actually take away some of my followers. But here's the thing Paul's saying. is I don't care if they're following me or not. What I care is whether Christ is preached. And so if they do it with the wrong motives, it doesn't matter. Turn back to Galatians 1. See, Paul's ultimate goal was not to get a claim for it himself. It was that the gospel was understood and responded to it, and that it was a true gospel. So here's the point. The content of the message of the gospel is much more important than the messenger of the message. The content is much more important. And that's why we always have to be careful uh, when it comes to listening to the gospel. In our day, it's very easy to to pull up on the internet or listen on the radio to certain people who preach very well. And that's not a bad thing as long as we don't shift our focus from the content of the gospel to the messenger of the gospel. Exalt them to a place as if they can do no wrong. They can't say anything wrong. So you have to remember that all these people are human and and at times they can make mistakes even as I can. So the, the, the focus of the gospel never should be on a person other than Jesus Christ, but, but on, a, on a preacher or a messenger. It should be on the content. Martin Luther recognized this when he was standing on trial for his 95 debating points that he had posted on the door at the church in Wittenberg. They asked him to recant. You need to turn away from what you are arguing for. But here is his reply. Luther says, unless I am convinced by testimonies of the Scriptures or by clear arguments that I am an heir, for popes and councils have often erred and contradicted themselves, I cannot withdraw, for I am subject to the Scriptures that I have quoted. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. It is unsafe and dangerous to do anything against one's conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. So help me God. Amen. Luther figured out it wasn't about the people who are teaching the message. It's about the content of the message. And that the way that we find out what the content of the message is is by going to the Word. And if someone else is going to contradict what the Scriptures say, then they need to make then then they need not to be followed. If they contradict the gospel that I understand, then they better show from the Scripture where that is clear. See, Luther got it. He recognized that the truth is not grounded in the messenger, but in the pages of God's Word. It doesn't matter how respected they are. So so whether it's your favorite preacher or pastor or your Sunday school teacher or Jehovah's Witness or Mormon or an angel from heaven, the messenger doesn't matter. When it comes to the content of the message, if there's anything in there other than the foundation that was already laid by the apostles, then it's not the truth, as Mark Dever says. Paul transitions from the messenger of the gospel to the judgment that comes on those who distort it. He, he focuses here in verse 8. He says, but even if we are an angel from heaven, so it doesn't matter the messenger as much. I, I don't care 
how heavenly of a person you think they are. The content is most important. Now, here's where he turns now. This, this tends to be the, the emphasis of the passage because he repeats it two times. If that person preaches a gospel, notice content, the content of the gospel, contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Paul's saying, even if I give you a different message, even if an angel were to come down from heaven and they preach to you a different gospel, if I preach to you a different gospel, you know what would would come upon us? End of verse 8. A curse. So how can these Judaizers, these troublemakers that are talking to you, avoid that same curse? And the... the, um, crescendo of the passage is here at the end of verse 8 and the end of verse 9. Paul's very serious about abandoning the Gospel. This is not something to take lightly. Do not abandon the true Gospel for a false one. And he uses the strongest word possible in the Greek language. It's translated in our Bibles at the end of verse 8, the end of verse 9, accursed. He uses the strongest word possible and then he repeats it. So he's making a strong emphasis that this is wrong. This is deadly. To abandon the Gospel is deadly. Now, what he's talking about is not that these people should be removed from the church only. That is, um, they're, they're not going to be able to receive the benefits of being a part of our church. It's not what Paul's talking about. The Greek word there is a is a word that you've probably heard before, and it's the word anathema. It means something that is placed up or set aside for divine purposes. Originally, it had the meaning of, it could be used in a positive or a negative sense, but later on it took on the meaning of only a negative sense. That it came to be a thing that was placed up for God's judgment. That was set apart for God's wrath. Listen to Paul in chapter 9 of Romans, verse 3. He says he wishes himself, in order for the Jews to come to Christ, he wishes himself accursed. Same word. And then he explains what he means. I wish myself accursed, separated from Christ. That's what he talked about in chapter 5. We already saw that he, a person who takes on this other works-based gospel is to be accursed. Severed from Christ. 1 Corinthians 16.22, Paul says, If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Paul's not saying, I put a curse on you. You're dead to me. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, let him be accursed by God. That's the idea. Let him be set apart for the purpose of God's curse on him. They have disordered the gospel, then they deserve God's judgment. Let me try to give you a sense of how serious Paul was. In this passage, let me try to paraphrase what he's saying. If any person, no matter who he is, preaches the gospel other than the one that you received from me, let that person go to hell. Let that person be condemned to eternity apart from Jesus Christ. Now, we don't use, we shouldn't use that sort of phrase to other people. 
But Paul uses it to show the severity of turning away from the true Gospel. Let that person be eternally condemned. If they have turned away from the Gospel and are leading other people to do the same. Now the good news for the Galatians is that Paul didn't think that they would end up here finally. Turn to chapter 5, verse 10. Paul had confidence. Chapter 5, verse 10. I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. Paul takes time to show that they are abandoning. They are quickly deserting. They're in the process of putting on their turncoat and being a traitor to God. But Paul finishes his letter, or at least towards the end, he says, but I have confidence in you that you're not going to do that. You're actually going to to embrace the Gospel that you once loved and understood. And it's going to take root and we're going to see fruit from it. This passage should remind us of the importance of maturity when it comes to leadership. This passage should remind us of the important qualification that's given to pastors and to deacons that they cannot be recent converts. They can't be new converts. Why? Are we, are, are we discriminating against them? What if they have a lot to bring to the table? A lot of leadership skills. What if they're, what if they're a, a, a manager in business? They come over to the church and we, just, we dump them into a role of leadership. Paul says, don't do that. You can't be a new convert. Why? Because new converts are often tossed around by every wind of doctrine, just like the Galatians. Only a year had passed. And as soon as someone comes in and gives them another gospel, oh yeah, that makes sense. I'll grab that. Paul says no. But that's not the main point of the passage. The main point is understanding the gospel is a matter of life and death. Understanding the gospel is a matter of life and death. How strongly do you feel about the gospel being distorted? This is not just something... This little pet peeve for Paul. You know, I just put this on the back burner. When I get a chance, I'll finally address it to these people. This is a matter of eternal destiny. That, that they are not just abandoning, but abandoning the gospel, the content of the gospel. They're abandoning God. They're severing their relationship with Christ altogether. They're falling from grace. We can't swallow the bait of a false gospel. The false gospel will often come along and it will look very attractive. It will be like that, that bait that's given to the fish. It looks like it's going to be very attractive, but when swallowed, the hook of the perverted gospel will sink in and it will eventually destroy us. We can't take the bait of a false gospel. I was talking to uh, Mike Jewell at lunch a few weeks ago, and he was telling me how strange it was to transfer from one church to another. He said his whole life he was at First Baptist of Lake Orion. And the only time that he ever left the church was from Lake Orion to Brazil, the mission field. 
and um, he he didn't really he wasn't able to fully sympathize with people who've had to leave a church for doctrinal reasons. Perhaps you have had to do that in your lifetime, perhaps even more than once. That the gospel in that church once started out and was held to, it was the foundation of what the people believed and loved and lived. And then over a matter of time, the gospel was was in the process of being abandoned. And, and that shift happens very subtly and eventually you recognize it's a clear, very clear and you have to remove yourself from it. Understanding the Gospel is a matter of life and death. And there's only one true Gospel. There's only one way to God. There's not multiple ways. Coming to God is not like getting up to the top of a mountain where you can come up, you can scale it from all different sides. Coming to God is not like traveling to a specific city. Dr. Ola, who used to be the president of Northland Baptist Bible College, tells of a time when he was sitting on a plane next to a guy and he was sharing with him the gospel and he asked the man, how, how, um, how is it that a person gets to heaven? And this person said, well, you know, I, I kind of like to think of it like getting to Boston. Okay, we're flying to Boston. We can get to Boston by way of plane. Or we could have taken a bus. Or we could have taken horseback or walked or boat or all these different ways we could have gotten to Boston. There's lots of ways to get to Boston. So I think that's the way it works. And Dr. Ola, in his witty way, says, that's nice, but I didn't ask you how to get to Boston. I'm asking you how to get to God. How does it get the person get to heaven? And the Bible tells us there's not multiple ways. It's not like getting to Boston. There's only one way. And Jesus says, I am that way. You have to come through me. And to abandon that way for a pathway that is a pathway of works is another gospel. It's not really the true gospel. And it will not get you to God. So therefore, we must have confidence in the gospel given by the apostles. We must have confidence in the gospel given by the gospels. God worked out a program that that was efficient and necessary, sufficient for us receiving the gospel. And it was through His witnesses, the people who had been with Christ, the people who had seen Him after His resurrection, These are the ones who were entrusted with building the foundation stones of the church. If you're ever confused about what the Gospel is, go back to the apostles. What is it they said the Gospel was about? Turn back to chapter 1, because I want you to notice who this book is addressed to, who this letter is addressed to. Notice in verse 2, At the end of the verse, Paul says to the pastors at the church in Galatia. No. To the spiritual elites or the spiritual leaders. Who does he say? He says to the churches. And what I would include here is to the members of the churches. And then he goes on to say, you members are abandoning the gospel. The point I want you to see is 
and that I remind you of often is that the responsibility of sound doctrine does not just lie with me. It does not just lie with the spiritual leaders in the church or the deacons. The responsibility to uphold sound doctrine is your responsibility and mine. We each have responsibility. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.15 that it is the church that is the pillar and support of the truth. The thing upon which the foundation of the gospel is placed upon. It's not enough to to join a church um, that has good Bible teaching. You have a responsibility to uphold sound doctrine as it is preached. And when error is preached by me, or anyone else that speaks from this pulpit, it has to be addressed. Now, there's a biblical way to do that. That doesn't mean just call them out right when they're speaking or when I'm speaking. But it needs to be addressed in a biblical way. There's a biblical way to handle that sort of false teaching. And if we don't, as individual members, it will only be a matter of time before this church heads down the path like many others before us. The path of apostasy. The path of turning away from Christ. And that means that you need to keep your ears open when the the Word of God is taught. You need to be meditating on the Word of God throughout the week and praying about it. Is, Is this what you're saying, God? What was preached does not sit well with me. It doesn't make sense compared to what I learned. And I'm going to search the Scriptures and pray to you and and ask you to show me what the truth is. Because if anyone speaks to you another Gospel other than the one that you first received from the apostles, then that person is to be eternally condemned. The greatest danger to the Gospel being upheld and supported in our church is not the false gospel, but the counterfeit gospel. You know, the false teachers don't come in necessarily and, and you know, they, they don't open up their jacket and say, here, buy some of my poison. Right? They come in dressed just like us. And they're very friendly. And they're very loving. But they're not really are they? Because they care more about themselves than the true Gospel. They care more about themselves than about you. So they give you a different Gospel, but it's very hard to spot. Because they come like Satan often comes, as an angel of light. If we don't preach the Gospel here, if we don't live the Gospel here, and we don't love the Gospel here, it will only be a matter of time before we abandon that Gospel. We're only one generation away from abandoning the Gospel if we don't love it ourselves. And the way that we proclaim the truth of the Gospel and love it and live it in our church is not only by guarding what is taught, but also by taking of the Lord's Supper. Jesus says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim My death until I come. That's the Gospel. His death. When you sing, you're singing to other Christians. You're singing and admonishing them, encouraging them with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. 
That's one of the ways that you encourage other people about the Gospel. Even in our giving, in our fellowship, our receiving of instruction, with our attendance, we show that we love the Gospel and that this is important. I'm not going to miss this. Because the Gospel is important to me and I want to uphold the truth that God has entrusted to me. And that message will be clearly seen when we are serious about living and loving the Gospel. It will be clearly seen by us, which is important. We need the encouragement among ourselves, but also to encourage unbelievers who see us and say, wow, they really are serious about this. This is not just a social gathering. This is something that they're really concerned about. They really love it. The main thing is to make the main thing the main thing. So easy in churches to drift away from the main thing. The centrality of the Gospel. We, we drift away from learning and loving the Gospel as it's displayed in God's Word, and we drift away to self-help seminars. How to be a better spouse. How to be a better parent. Those are all good. Okay, As long as we don't abandon what is most important. The greatest important in our church is not self-help seminars. The greatest importance, the greatest need in our church is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing brings people to life like the Gospel. Nothing revives a person, reinvigorates them, and, and gets them more concerned about God and His work than the Gospel. That's what the Gospel does. It brings the spiritually dead to life. The Gospel of Jesus Christ is a gift to us by faith alone through God's grace alone. If we add anything to it, more works, then we are in the process of deserting the Gospel of Jesus Christ, which is really no Gospel at all. And we deserve, like the troublemakers in the Galatian churches, to be accursed. Let us hold fast to the true Gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the beauty and the glory that we were able to see in the life of Jesus Christ. The Gospel, which is about Him in the most summarized form. The Gospel is Jesus Christ. It's the good news that Jesus Christ came that He didn't remain in His place of, of great glory forever, but He took upon Himself the form of a servant, became in the likeness of man, humbled Himself, and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And as a result, You have highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name, so that one day at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord to Your glory. We long for that day. We want that day to come quickly. But we know until then we have a responsibility to spread the joy that is the Gospel. Not just to unbelievers. Certainly that should be part of what we're doing. That we're proclaiming Christ to them. But, but also to ourselves. Other believers within our church. 
need to encourage one another. I need encouragement with regard to holding fast to the Gospel. Each person here needs encouragement to hold fast to the Gospel. We are so fickle at times. We're so prone to wander. We need You. Please help us. Help us to work together to accomplish Your purposes. Do it for Your glory. Do it with the right motives. And mainly to focus on the true content of the Gospel. Not to to mistake that. To uphold the truth of Your Word. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.